All right. Good morning. Hello. Okay. Good, good morning to you too. Uh, you just angry because of the rain? All you guys came in so angry because you were wet. Well, good to be with you. Let me give you an announcement before we uh, roll into the message. If, if you guys are new or visiting, you know we've had a lot of just kind of new people uh, entering into this place and wondering what's the leadership structure, doctrine, kind of how we operate, who we are. Um, best first step is member class. So our next member class, we do those every like three to four months. Next one's November 17th from 1 to 3.30. You can sign up online. would love for you to be a part of that. Know that if you like go to this class, this isn't like, hey, we're making you become a member. It can even be exploratory for you. That's normal. And uh, hopefully that is a good first step for you if you have questions uh, or you just kind of want to know some more behind the scenes stuff. We'd be happy to answer that. Um, and this Wednesday's worship and prayer, we do the last Wednesday of every month. Look forward to gathering with you at uh, 7.30 to 8.30. We just pray that God would do the things that only he can do in this place. We need his help. We can't do it by ourselves and apart from his grace. So that is that. If you are new or visiting, came with a friend, coworker, neighbor, just glad you're here. Uh, this is a worship service where we worship Jesus. We believe he was God, that he did come, that he did live an obedient life, that he did die, did rise from death, and did ascend and does gift his Holy Spirit to those who would trust in his name for forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. And that's why we're a happy people because uh, that's really good news to those of us that know we need him. And so we, uh, that's why we sing the songs that we sing. We want you to hear and declare and say and share uh, just the things that have been said and done about you through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we sit under the teaching of God's word so you might be reminded and strengthened by what God has said. And we also, you see tables down front each week. This is why we observe what's known as communion or the Lord's Supper, depending on your background, so that we can be nourished once again of the saving benefits we have in him breaking his body and him shedding his blood so that we did not have to, uh, so that we could be restored to God in fullness. And then we also give as a people because he was most generous in sending us his son. We give on the silver boxes on the back wall. Many you give online as well. And I always say if you're not a regular attender or member, please do not feel compelled to give. Um, we're going to be in First Peter. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab those or your fake Bible on your phone, whatever Bible you have. It's First Peter. That's right. You wicked pagans all on your phone. It's all good. So open it up. First Peter's near the end of your Bible. Uh, we're just doing two verses today, chapter two, verses nine to ten. And uh, we've just been kind of plowing through First Peter. If you're going through the study guide, some of you guys have asked, the study guide actually correlates with where we are on Sundays. So it, 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 it'll shoot you to the sermon text we're going to be in. So if you're like one of those people that wants to secretly know where, where we're going or what text we'll be in on Sunday, we gave that to you in the study guide. Uh, so that was our gift to you. Okay, so it also saved me emails. So it's a, it's a blessing to all. So uh, be encouraged knowing that. So we're in Chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. You can take those Bibles, too, that you've been grabbing. Those are our gift. You don't have to give them back. We're thrilled uh, that you can take those. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into the text and see what God would have to say. Uh, Jesus, thank you that we get to open the word together this morning. Thank you for giving us some space to be quiet, to be still, to consider, to meditate, to think. And thank you that you speak to us every time we open up this book. Thank you that it's yours. Thank you that you inspired it. Thank you that you wrote it. And thank you that we can be changed and transformed by it. We pray that we would leave differently today because we were together um, than when we walked in this place. And thank you on the midst of what could be a dreary morning, uh, reason to be grateful and uplifted by what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 9 and 10. Before we dive into chap uh, verse 9, um, I was thinking a lot about just the book of First Peter lately. 
as we've been kind of walking through it and studying it and reflecting a lot upon just what God has said in this text and what he said in this book as Peter's been writing. And um, I, I've been thinking about if you study the, the Bible, the whole Bible, if you look at a major tendency in the human heart that, that God just aggressively goes after, it's self-righteousness, right? It's just, just, just pride. So um, if you read it, you'll see kind of the whole story of God is this story that man thinks they're awesome and we're not awesome. God is awesome and he sends Jesus to make us worthy when we were unworthy. So um, I was literally reading Isaiah 2 yesterday, and you, you see that there's a day coming where it says that everyone who's prideful and haughty will be brought low. Um, they'll realize that really we're, we're not as great as we thought. We're not as awesome as we thought. Our resume doesn't equal Jesus, right? It, it falls well short. And then you, you go to the New Testament Gospels, which for me, uh, just like changed my life reading those when I've shared kind of my, my story, and, and reading the ways that Jesus goes most aggressively, the people he goes most aggressively towards are who? Self-righteous, the religious, right? Um, he calls them devils. Like that's not encouraging, Right, like you don't wanna be called a devil from Jesus. Like there's this, there's this elevation, this righteousness they think they have because they do all the good things, they're externally moral, and Jesus says, I see your heart, I see what's really there, and, and I came to supersede your righteousness with the righteousness you don't own, right? And that's the, the righteousness of Jesus which he credits to us in the great gospel work. And so um, you, you see this over and over. Now, now why do I say this? The, the reason I mention this is because if you read the Bible and you see self-righteousness, righteousness and pride in it. it. I really think it just goes against God's whole plan of redemption. Like think about it from, from God's perspective for a minute, right? There's nothing. There's nothing. And he, he exists fully satisfied himself. He doesn't need humans. He doesn't need you and I to feel better. He doesn't need our applause. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need any more worth. He is fully worthy, fully great, fully glorious in all that he is. Yet God decides to create God creates galaxies, universes that our little weeny telescopes are trying to see the ends of, and then he creates a planet Earth and puts little specks of humans, like little humans with our little scepters, thinking we're so awesome and sitting on our little thrones, and God is reigning and ruling, creates, and he gives the first humanity one rule, and they break it. They can't keep one rule. Everyone thinks God's a stingy God. He's actually a very generous God. He said, be naked. How awesome is that? Like, don't need clothes. Like, just be fruitful and multiply. Do whatever you want. Enjoy this life I've given you. Hey, just don't eat of that tree. And they break it. What does God do? God rolls in the law, and we realize as humans, we keep failing and failing and failing and failing, and, and God is going, yeah, this is the plan all along, so that what does he do? He sends Jesus and saves the day, right? He's the hero. He's God. He's the rescuer. He's the initiator. He's the one who does all of that work, so the glory Glory gets to Jesus. So you read the book of Revelation with all you who are terrified to read. So take Wayne's class this winter, okay? So Re Revelation's a great book, and it talks about at the end of all things, the anthem is you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. You're so forgiving, you're so merciful, you're so great, we weren't, glory to you. Now, here, here's why I say that, is as for some of you, you read this, this is First Peter. 
First Peter unpacked for you, starting in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, how God initiated, God sent, God chose, God made you elect exiles, he made you born again, he gave you this inheritance, he sustains you, he continues this good work, and for some of you, as you read this, and as he makes us a group of people that are to be a witness of his work and name, it drives you crazy because you're not the hero of it. Like there's no you in there. There's no you were good and you were awesome and you saved the day and it was your idea and you thought you'd save humanity. It was God sends, God initiates, God gives grace, God gives mercy, God forgives sin. It was all God. And and hasn't that really been how it's always been about him? I mean, isn't this the whole story of the Bible? It's the Israelites backed up against the Red Sea. What do we do? I'll part the Red Sea. Right? It's us looking at the law going, man, I can't keep the law. I'll fulfill it for you. Right? I don't have a righteousness like God's. That's okay. I'll gift it to you. It's always been God's the hero. God's the, the bigger one. God, it was God's idea and God's design. And so for some of us, the reason that this even story aggravates you is because you want the applause. And so listen, Peter wants you to get to a place where you, you fundamentally realize that, that you're at level zero and God is at level infinity, and then because of this relational work of God in Jesus Christ, everything builds off of there. This is why last week Pastor Mike talked about Jesus being the cornerstone. And so this is what Peter wants us to understand. Peter's reminding us now you belong to Jesus, not to culture. You belong to somebody of infinite worth. And even though we will be persecuted, even though we will be opposed, even though we will be rejected, even though we will be maligned, We remember that belonging to Jesus, we're the most prized, treasured one on the planet because we're his. And this creates mission. And so we just finished last week with, do you know who the cornerstone is? That's Jesus. And then this week he's going to say, okay, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? So salvation is mission. Verse 2, this is what Peter starts to say. But you, put in your name, but you, if you're in Christ, Right? But Mike, but John, but Sarah, but Bob, but you in Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter is very simply just explaining to you what he's already shared in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. That's what he's doing. He's reminding you again of who you are because he knows everything is built upon who you are. And let me just track through this list briefly. And I'm going to keep saying this because that's, this is why I've been saying this the entire time I've been up here is read every verse in relation to because you belong to Jesus. Okay, that's what it means to be an elect exile. Because you belong to Jesus... Because you were not your own, you were bought by someone who is infinitely worthy. You don't need validation from people. You don't need approval from careers. You don't need anything else to show your worth or value because he's already said that, right, in his work to you. Now he says, because you belong to Jesus, let's just track through each of these, it means you're a chosen race. Because you belong to Jesus, you're a chosen race. Now, um, Peter's reminding you out of the gate that God did this. This is elect exiles. This is, he made you born again. This is the whole story of the Bible that he initiated. You're a chosen race. This is God's love for you. This is God loved you when you didn't even want to be loved or you didn't feel lovable, right? This is God doing all of these things. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. What matters is that Christ has done something to you. 
And he has made you, he says, a chosen race. It's about Jesus making you born again. It's about Jesus giving you a new heart and a new mind. It's about Jesus giving you your inheritance you didn't earn. It's about Jesus doing all of these things for you and for me. And when he says a chosen race, Peter is now talking about this group of people that collectively live differently than the world. So remember, it's not just I'm an individual living individually different. It's we're now a people, we're a chosen race living differently than the rest of culture. And therefore, it crosses tribes and tongues and nations. Now, when Peter says you're a chosen race, here's what he's not saying. Peter is not saying you lose your ethnicity or you lose your distinctiveness or you lose your nationality when you come to Jesus, okay? There's a weird teaching out there that talks about how, yeah, we're all just in Christ and we're all the same. We're not the same. He wants to make you one. He doesn't want to make you the same, You don't lose your distinctiveness. You don't lose your ethnicity. You don't lose your nationality. Those things are, the purpose of those things is to get the beautiful creativity of God to bring all tribes' tongues together so we might show off his creativity, show off his beauty even more because we hang out now. Because we get together now. We mingle now. The world goes, why are they mingling? Why are they hanging out? Why are they doing life? Why are they not just monogamous and with what everyone looks like? And no, no, your culture, your background, your distinctiveness is so valuable. So understand me, he's not trying to make us all the same. He's trying to make us all one. He's trying to remove inequality. He's not trying to remove distinctiveness. And this is huge for us. This is why at the end of Revelation, you see all tribes, tongues of the earth worshiping God, but they're united around who? Who they're worshiping. Their, their oneness isn't in their background or how they grew up or what has kind of framed the way they think and feel. It's that Jesus is king, that Jesus is worthy, that they would maintain this distinctiveness and be unified in who they love, worship, serve, and adore. Uh, that's why I love that God has brought into this place into our church. I mean, I was praying that since day one we planted the church, that God would bring tribes, tongues, and nations. I long for to shepherd a church that looks like heaven. And I wasn't, I mean, that's not mandated. That's not like required, but I hope you make up the area that you are. And we're seeing God do that here. And so listen, um, if, if you have a background that's different from someone else, man, that distinctiveness is so powerful and beautiful and necessary here. Like if we're gonna actually be the witness God wants us to be, we need that. Like, you're necessary to the body. Amen? We're a chosen race. Number two, because you belong to Jesus, we're a royal priesthood. This is a mind-blowing concept. (laughs) Royal priesthood. There are times you're reading and you just, like, stop. You ever do that? No, I do. Okay? You, You read, you just stop, and you just circle things. That's one of them. Here's why I stop and circle royal priesthood. Because I know me. Like, if you know you, and I don't mean like how everybody knows you. I mean like if you know you, and you hear that you're a royal priesthood. I know that royal and priesthood don't go with Mike Reed. Right? I don't know about you. Amen to one. You, is anyone else here? Like, you... you 
we're not royal. Like, like some of you guys, I don't know, maybe from Scotland, you're like, oh, I've got some royalty. Oh, great, I'd love to meet you. I, I, but there's, there's this amazing thing about a royal priesthood. And if you're familiar with priests in the ruling sense, with kings and monarchs, the priests were the ones who had access to the royal presence of the king, and they got to fulfill the royal duties of the king. So here's what Peter's saying. In Christ, you actually are royal. You get direct access to the king, King Jesus, who's now our official high priest, right? He's the one who mediates between God and man. We go to him and we get to roll out and fulfill his kingly duties. Like we get, we get royalness to our calling to serve him. Maybe uh, some of you, well, I know some of you, you grew up Catholic or have Catholic background or experience and so um, you read royal priesthood and the first thing you think of is holy man with a robe yes father no father devout man rigorous training set apart so you're going I'm not like that priest I'll never be them that's not what he's talking about dude he Peter brings in something amazing here he this is the Jews would have thought this they would have shot back to the first original priest like Herod or Caiaphas and said oh yeah these people these devout men these people that all I'll never be like he, he comes in here and he says something amazing. He says, every Christian is a part of a royal priesthood because Christ has clothed you with his royalty and he's let you serve him as king. That's why 1 Timothy will say there's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And this is why every person who is in Christ has the same access to God, not based upon your nobleness or your worthiness, but because Christ made you a priest. So you can track back to, I don't care if it's Jonathan Edwards, C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, if you don't know who they are, they're just people that the, the Christian community worships, all right? And so then you got Mike Reed, and then insert your name. Like, like none of us have different levels of access to God. Like we all have access to the king because King Jesus became our high priest and walked through this life and bared our sin and was martyred and persecuted and scorned and shamed and despised, took our sin upon himself, rose from death, validated it all in his resurrection, ascends back to the heavens, seated on the right hand of God the Father and says, now I get to rain down on you all my privilege, all my blessing, the rest of your life until glory when we're all one. Anyone else excited about that? All right, good. So, so, so here's, here's, here's what he's saying. You're a royal priesthood. You know what this also means? This means there's no longer a class of men and women in ministry. This means that you don't worship men and women. You honor them, but pastors, we're not like some prestigious elite group. We have hearts, bleed the same blood, feel the same feels, and, and we're set apart because of Jesus. Yes, there's calling, but the reason this is so important is he's showing us there's not a class. We're all called to ministry. You know, listen, not everyone's called to be a pastor. Praise God. We don't need everybody up here, right? We, we need you out there. We need people in your workplaces. We need you in your neighborhoods. We need you on your streets. We need you in the cities. We need you doing the things God's wired you and created you to do for the glory of his name and the unique pockets of influence that he's placed you. 
That's what, you, that's what we need. That's what the body is. That's God's plan. God's plan is not make everyone pastors and preachers. It's make everyone priests. So we're a royal priesthood. Let's all operate in different categories and job descriptions, all for the primary end of being witnesses. We are not all called to be pastors. We are all called to be witnesses. Acts 1.8, that's your text to the ends of the earth. Praise God for that. So our vocations as his royal priesthood are to serve Jesus, our great high priest and king. Number three, belonging to Jesus means we're a royal, we're a holy nation. Holy nation, this just means that Jesus has set us apart. He has clothed us in his holiness and then he continues to make you holy over time. So the big two words that are theological in nature is justification and sanctification. That he set you apart as holy in the justification sense, that just simply means he declares you righteous. He declares you holy. He says you are, not because you are, but because Christ stood in your place for your sins and became your righteousness for you. Okay, that's justification. Then after that, you're transformed, you're made new, you believe that, that's amazing, that's awesome. I can't believe I can't merit it. I can't believe my works don't save me. I can't believe nothing else saves me. Jesus saves me. Then he puts you on the path to what's known as sanctification. That just means now you're growing more into the image of Jesus slowly, progressively for the rest of your life, (laughs) okay? Like you don't wake up one morning a missionary, okay? Like, everyone wants that. I want to stumble into godliness. That ain't going to happen. Like, that, that didn't happen in anyone's life. If you see people you respect and admire, you're like, man, they're just, they're just walking with the Lord so faithfully. They know things I don't know. Of course they do. They've been walking. Look at the last 15 years of their life. Man, don't look at me as, hey, why is my, I don't, I don't know a lot, but, man, I mean, I've been walking with Jesus maybe longer than you if you became a Christian last week. So, man, be careful how you esteem people and how you view people. So you can also have a right understanding of how God makes you holy. And hear me, sanctification will never get you on the road of justification. That's religion. So you believing that how I act and how I work and how I do things will somehow swing the arm of God favorably in my direction is heresy. Justification, God making you righteous because he alone did it through the person and work of his son, puts you on the path of sanctification, which then through the power, presence, and enablement of his Holy Spirit makes you more like his son, not the other way around. One is religion and one is the gospel. Sounds like you're tracking. I like that. Number four, belonging to Jesus means we're a people for his own possession. The scriptures are going to tell us that God purchased us, that God redeemed us, right? When we trusted in Jesus, he, he bought us through the shedding of his blood. That's what the Bible teaches. <laughs> so we're no longer here for our purpose, our gain, our glory. We're here for his purposes, his gain, and his glory. This made me think of, I don't know if you've seen those name tags that people wear, hello, my name is, and you put your name on it. Um, No? Okay. Well, that's weird because you all are asking me to do that every Sunday. So everyone's like, man, Pastor Mike, we need to wear name tags. We're too big now. Anyway, so, 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 (laughs) you ever like delete a thought? Okay. So, 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 name tags, this, this hello my name is, like, like a people for his own possession. Do you know what that means God did? Like you once had a name and it was cursed and it was death 
and it was sinner, and it was separated, and it was imprisoned, and it was not free, and it was orphan, and it was lost. What's amazing is in the great work of the gospel that Peter's already unpacked for us and him making us born again and us trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin and him gifting us his Holy Spirit, your name tag now doesn't say cursed, it's blessed. It's no longer death, it's life. It's no longer imprisoned, it's free. It's no longer orphan, it's adopted. It's no longer lost, it's found. It's no longer enemy, it's friend. It's no longer sinner, it's saint. Man. Peter wants us to remember we've been redeemed. Like our name has switched. Our identity has changed. Now, do you know what it means to be redeemed, to, to, to be a people for his own possession, to be bought? Um, here's why I ask this. Because some of you guys have been taught that redemption means that we were like slaves and, and God paid somebody to purchase us back to him. So we were owned by something and he paid them off and now we're his. Now, that's not entirely biblical. And the reason I'm, I want you to know this is because there's a really important theology called substitution that a lot of people are like, ah, oh, we don't need substitution. Substitution isn't really an important theology. It doesn't really matter in the work of, no, you lose everything. Okay, so, so, so I get where we get that concept because um, redeemed means to kind of pay back to regain possession of. But that's not biblically what it means. Not in the sense of the work of Christ. Like, and here's why I'm saying this. Um, God doesn't pay anybody off to rescue you. Like, he doesn't like, oh, Satan, let's barter. Man, how about you like let go of him and I'll get her and then I'll go to the cross and then that'll be enough. No, he crushed the head of Satan. Like he, he, death is done in totality in the work of Jesus Christ. He, he has already finally and fully done all that he needed to do in the great gospel. So, so what in the world does it mean then that God redeemed us? He became that. Like, like this, is, this is so huge for you in understanding your salvation. He became it. He didn't pay somebody off. He didn't barter. He, he, he literally became your sin. He died in our place for our sins. If you've been coming a while, I say that every week. There's a reason I say that every week. It's because I want you to be hearing the theology of substitution, that he took your place for your sins, that he exchanged places in the cross. We should have been hanging. He hung. We should have bled and died. He bled and died. We should have been there with our sinfulness. He was sinless. Right? That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus did. Here's why I say that. Um, there's a very common thinking that Jesus didn't die in our place. He just died as our example. Or he died as a picture of love. Or an example of humility. Well, that. That's, that's nice. That doesn't change me. That doesn't transform me. Gandhi, love Gandhi, just really wrong, said this. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, an embodiment of sacrifice, and even a divine teacher. His death on the cross was a great example to the world, but that there was anything like a mysterious or miraculous virtue in it, for example, him redeeming us from the curse of the law, if there was anything like that that happened supernaturally in it, my heart will not accept it. 
Yeah, I mean, so God, to Gandhi, Jesus' life and death is just like Russell Crowe and Gladiator. Like, it's, it's really inspiring. I mean, it's, it's cool to watch, but there's nothing supernatural in it that does anything to me. Right, I'm just kind of watching a movie. That's really cool, and Christianity becomes just a spectator sport. Wow, that's really cool. Wow, Jesus did that. Great example, Jesus. I mean, no, it, it, it literally transforms you because he literally took your place. It literally went in the deepest parts of your heart and soul and made you new. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. Listen, this is, for me, one of the reasons I know this is from God. A lot of reasons, listen, um, I know that this is from God because if this were from man, we never would have created a story that elevates God and diminishes us. We wouldn't have done it. Who would have done that? Me, liar, right? No, you wouldn't. I mean, that's that's what every false system does. Every false system, false teaching elevates man and diminishes God. It's very easy. If you want to know, how do I discern from false teaching and biblical teaching? It just elevates man and diminishes God. Bible comes along and says, from the very beginning, you stink, you mess up, you can't cure yourself, you're really sinful, you're really unrighteous, so I'm going to actually do something about it. God's going to come, God's going to initiate, God's going to send, God's going to give grace, God's going to incarnate, and God's going to be the one who comes sinless, perfectly righteous, upholding the will of God perfectly, finally, fully for you and I. That's good news to those of us who know we stink, okay? So that is the message of the gospel. Now, what does this create? Peter wants you to feel that. Like, what does this create? Like, me knowing I'm a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession. It creates worship and proclamation. Like, like it leads to a heart that just naturally talks about it. This is why good theology leads to healthy biography, which culminates in doxology. Good theology, understanding who God is and what he's like, leads to a good biography, a lens by which I know how to live my life, which culminates in good doxology. I know how to properly worship now. This is what he says in verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why know all this, Peter? So that you might shout something. So you might be an advertisement for something. So that you might be a billboard about something. (laughs) So as you know who you are in Christ, because you're being told you belong to Jesus, that creates an overflow of worship and proclamation about that truth. You can't help but tell people the one who took you out of darkness brought you into marvelous light. I mean, this is amazing. You were blind, now you see. You didn't see Jesus as good. You didn't see him as saving. You didn't see him as God. You didn't see him as king. You didn't see him as worthy of your worship. You didn't see him as any of those things. And then at some point in time, you heard a sermon. Someone shared their faith with you. You read a a verse. Um, Maybe the Holy Spirit of God just did something to you and revealed the truth of the gospel to you. And you believed, you trusted, you turned from sin, turned to Jesus, and literally the veil was lifted off of your eyes. And you're going, man, I was brought out of darkness. Now I'm walking in his marvelous light. And you just kind of talk about it. You, you, the way you operate and live just kind of demonstrates that something has happened. <laughs> and listen, man, uh, some of you guys, maybe you didn't have the lightning bolt from heaven, pixie dust flew off your ears, and you're like, man, I'm made new. Like that's, not, like, that's not normal for everyone, okay? Like, I don't have that story. I don't really have a moment when, boom, I was like changed and converted. All I know is I love him today. I want to pursue him today. I have a heart for him today. 
Right, like listen, and, and God bless you if you have that moment, praise God for that, um, but I wouldn't lean on that for your security. I'd lean on do I still love him and wanna make much of him, right? Like, like don't lean on you throwing the stick in the fire in eighth grade for you like your salvation, right? I mean, that's great, but like Jesus saves you, Jesus sustains you. Um, so look, just, just, just examine today. How am I? What do I feel for him? That's a beautiful place to start. This is why some of us maybe are religious and not yet regenerate. Regenerate just means I'm saved, I'm transformed. Religious means I just love showing up. I love kind of doing a lot of religious things because I believe that's what gives me favor with God. None of this does that. Instead of being, I've been made new, I was brought from darkness to light, and now I just want to be here. Like, I just love being here. I want to learn more about him. I want to draw close to him. I want to know my identity in him. I want to know what he's done for me in the cross of Christ, right? I mean, that, that's why we're here. You're not here to learn po- earn points. Like, you're not here to increase the pie chart, spiritually speaking. But this really convicted me this week, if I can be honest. Am I allowed to be honest? Okay, good. So I was going to tell you anyways. So this really, really challenged me this week. I proclaim, I'm tempted, I don't know if you're like me, there's a desire deep down in Mike Reed to talk about Mike Reed. I know none of you have any idea about what I'm talking about right now, right? Um, But that's why you post everything you post on Instagram and Facebook, and that's why I'm not on it. But just a zinger. So so here's, here's the, love it, to the... Pastor McKinney were here, he would, amen, he loves helping you understand how social media has been uh, misused and polluting your brain. So, so here's, here's the reality, though. No, no. He always, it's, it's, these are good things to be used for God. But if we're honest, there's a residual effect of the fall in all of us that wants us to make much of ourselves. We want to be walking advertisements of ourselves, right? Look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I've achieved, right? That's, that's normal. That's in us, what was so challenging here is, is knowing that there's a desire to talk about Mike Reed. The truth is, I was thinking about this week, that, that about this proclaiming him and his excellencies, is what in the world am I going to accomplish in my lifetime that holds a candlestick to the work of God in Christ for me? That's his point. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to be the most amazing leader that led a $5 billion company? Like, are you going to make Guinness Book of World Records with some odd talent that you have? You get in the book, you've landed. Or you're the most beautiful person who's ever existed. You win American Idol. Or I don't know, just like throw in the junk drawer, whatever that is. And I'm thinking about those things, and I'm going, man, okay, so how do those things compare to the fact that God has loved me in Christ, when I was a belittler of his name, when I did not love his glory, when I did not want him as my God, when I did not see him as saving, when I was committing cosmic treason, he comes, he's persecuted, he's mocked, he's despised, he's tortured, he's belittled, 
He goes to the cross in my place for my sins, death being the payment and wage for sin, rising, showing he defeated it in fullness, rises to the heavens and gives me his spirit to rain down on me for the rest of my days, how all those things don't satisfy, all those things are merry-go-rounds, all those things have a ceiling I can't get past, yet Christ has given me something to get beyond the ceiling and he's given me an eternity to enjoy those things in fullness. Okay, so, (laughs) hmm, what am I going to proclaim? Like, what am I going to advertise that really compares to that? Like, I'm really going to walk around going, man, look at me. Like, look how awesome I am. Look at what I've done and achieved. Or, man, look at what he's done. Look at what he's allowing me to do. Look at what he's allowing me to participate in. Man, it's so beautiful. We have to do the things God's called us to do. I'm not, those things aren't intrinsically sinful or evil. It's we're intrinsically sinful and evil. So you've got a lot of morally neutral things that we sabotage because we're dysfunctional. Not because that thing is. So we use those things to show off his glory. And I just, Peter's just saying, man, we're gonna proclaim something, proclaim him that he brought you out of darkness into marvelous light. This is why this might sound obvious or <laughs> this is why we don't sing songs to Mike Reed right? Uh, or any pastor. This is why we don't sing songs to Luke Rowland or whoever's leading. That's why we sing to him. Why? Because we're proclaiming him. It wouldn't make sense to proclaim somebody else. See, the more your life centers around you, the more miserable you will become. That's just a fact. You can test it today if you want. I don't know about that, pastor. Well, test it out. Like, if you catch yourself in those moments of misery, frustration, you're embittered, it's because life has begun to revolve around you, right? This is all identity. This is why in Jesus Christ, you've been set free from needing anyone to validate you or anyone needing to give you a purpose. And I love this because, see, I don't need my wife to fill me. I have my filling. I don't need my kids to be a perfect reflection of my parenting skills, right? No one feels that, right? Like so, so like, you don't need that. Why? Because Christ has validated you. Like, he's given you his filling. He's already told you who you are based upon what he's done and not how you're performing today. That's such good news for us. So without reconciliation with God, without this work of the gospel happening, you're left your own strategies perpetually to figure out how to have an identity. And Jesus did it for you. And when identity is taken away, from it being in Christ and it's onto our shoulders, it just becomes crushing, doesn't it? Like when work is your identity, it just becomes crushing. Or when how you perform this week becomes your identity and worth, it just becomes crushing. And Jesus wants to free you from that. Now, the undercurrent of this text is that our salvation creates mission. You've been so changed that you proclaim who he is is so is it not true that the times you're most courageous and most ready to proclaim when you're closest to the lord like isn't that natural like like you leave a sunday service or you go on a retreat, or you do something, and you're like, man, I just feel close. Or you have a great discipleship meeting, or you, you have an amazing time with the Lord, or whatever it is. When you're, is aren't those, isn't it this intimacy with God that creates a courage? 
right? It's not you trying to muster up, man, I just got to proclaim him now. I got to do something. That's why I can't stand sermons on evangelism where people all leave just feeling like they have to try harder. Like that, like, like, okay, then you, you didn't get it then. Like, no, it's, are you so captivated with the personal work of Jesus? You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, purchased by God for his own possession that you can't help but just talk about in different ways, introverted, extroverted, I get it, right? Like the ways that you love, the ways that you care, the way that you operate to where it shows off and reverberates and demonstrates you're of another kingdom. Like that just starts overflowing out of you, right? Like you're not trying to be somebody different, like we tell couples that preparing for marriage this all the time. Like, like, like this isn't like you wanting your husband to like sit down. He, he, we tell the husband, your wife's not looking for you to sit down with her and exegete Hebrews for six hours every Tuesday night and tell her all the different commentators and perspectives. That's great if you do that. You should be preaching. Like, but that's not, that's not what, just the overflow of who you are. Like if you read something, just share it. Just let it be the natural overflow of your relationship with God that creates this courage. See, he's talking to people who are maligned, opposed, oppressed, and persecuted, and yet they have reason to have courage and proclaim amidst such hostility. And how did that happen? He didn't just give them seven steps to courage. He didn't do that. He gave them who? Jesus. He said, look at what he's done for you. Look at his love for you. Look at how he's transformed you. Okay, now I'll let you proclaim those excellencies. Didn't he bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Okay. And I thought of Stephen in Acts 7. Look at this, Stephen. This, I feel like this section in Acts 7 is 1 Peter. That this, these four verses are literally the book of 1 Peter. You see Stephen, the first martyr, being persecuted. Look, look at this. Look what it says. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. I love the details of the Bible. They weren't just mad. Because always you can read and be like, oh, they were kind of upset. They, they ground their teeth at him. <laughs> huh? Did that happen to you Monday morning? You're talking about Jesus, and they're just grinding their teeth at you? I mean, Maybe. Or maybe they were just a little upset, right? I mean, this is, this is what he's talking about. Look at this. <laughs> oh, man. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, did what? Gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened, son of man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed at him. They're like, shut up, Stephen. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm going to rush at you. And it says that they took him out of the city and stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's insane. How did Stephen have courage amidst opposition to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus? You know what he did? What I think he did? He looked at him and he reminded himself, I belong to him. I belong to Jesus. That's insane. I mean, it's amazing. These people are so angry, chasing him out of the city, stoning him with rocks, and Stephen's so focused on him. He's going, man, no, no, I, I know who I am in him. I know what Jesus has done for me. I know what my identity is, so go ahead, stone me to death. Throw rocks at me. Like, Stephen wasn't intrinsically courageous. Like, I don't think he had different blood than you. 
I don't think that he had a different heart that didn't beat the same. I don't think he didn't have fearfulness. I don't think he didn't have the same temptations and proclivities we have. I just think he learned something that the whole Bible speaks to and teaches, which is he set his eyes on something far more glorious and powerful and palpable and real. And that intimacy with Jesus created a courage that allowed him to say, I don't care, stone me to death. And forgive these people for what they're doing? I don't have forgiveness like that. I need to think more on the forgiveness of Jesus so I can grow in that forgiveness, right? I love it. It's not about you trying harder or you leave and you simply try to do evangelism because we're going to be talking a lot about mission in this letter. No, man. It's about you overflowing naturally with continually seeing who Jesus is and what he's done. Listen, there's no higher privilege than to be a herald of the gospel. Like, there's no higher privilege than he takes unworthy sinners and lets us be his mouthpiece. That's insane. <laughs> like, what? Like, knowing me and all my, like, frailties and failures and stumblings, and he still lets Mike Reed be his mouthpiece? That's insane. And the framework is all that, that we can do this amidst uncomfortable situations. I mean, this is happening all around us. Listen, you have no idea who's sitting near you. Like, you have no idea. God has been, like, drawing just the craziest people in here. It's just awesome. I know. I just totally called out some of you. You're like, oh, my gosh, you just told them. Well, they don't know who you are. Like, so, so listen, we're, we're thrilled you're here. We're thrilled to your story. We're just amazed that God would let us love you and talk to you about Jesus. Like, it's just amazing. I mean, there is, there is a... I asked her if I could share this. There's a sister who, who got in a car accident a couple weeks ago and just goes, hey, come to church. I'm like, that's the best evangelistic strategy I've ever heard. Just run into people and invite them to church. That's insane. And he came. He's been coming for weeks. Like, that's so, I know. And if you're listening here, I don't know. We love you. Like, it's just, it's amazing that, that people in this place love people that much that they're thinking of proclaiming the excellencies of him and not, man, I got to call the police on you. I got to do something. Hey, man, I got a great idea. You just hit me. Let's go to church. <laughs> Praise God. I would have been like, lock them up. Right? That's, that's, that's how I've responded. I'm just being, <laughs> just being human. But now I've learned from you, faithful, faithful saints. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Ah, we need to know this, right? Church at Bergen, we once were not a people, now we're a people. That's amazing. <laughs> there was a time when we were not a people about five years ago. Nothing would have ever brought the circus that is Church at Bergen together other than Jesus and made us a people. I mean, I remember praying when we planted this church going, Lord, bring so many backgrounds and, and types of people because I really personally had a desire to pastor a church that looked like heaven, that crossed tribes, tongues, and boundaries, and, and, and I wanted the place we pastored to represent who lived there, and I felt like Paramus represented a lot of diversity, and that, that really grew my heart. But man, listen, uh, our first year in, I was just like, oh my goodness, 
How do we take? We've got flip-flops and shoes. We've got suits and t-shirts. We've got white, black. We've got Asian, Latino. We've got Anglican, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Baptist, non-denom backgrounds. We've got people who were formerly Muslim, formerly Buddhist, formerly Hindu, loving Jesus. We've got young and old. We've got college, out of college. We've got empty nester and tons of kids. We have all these things happening. How in the world do we rally everyone around the main flagpole cornerstone, Jesus, hold secondary issues appropriately, fight well, argue well, talk well, be unified, not the same. I don't know. Jesus will do it. So you're like, Jesus, make us a people. And isn't it awesome that he has done that and oh, has he made us a peculiar one, right? That's his point. He wants you to not just be a people, but a peculiar people. Why? Because it starts testifying something that's otherworldly. It's not like the world. That's interesting. Why are you guys all together? Why are you hanging out? Why are you doing these things? Why? And you center them on Jesus. And Peter says, I love this. As a peculiar people, if you've received mercy, you can extend mercy as your witness and mission. We're empathetic in our evangelism. We're compassionate like Jesus. Do you know the word mercy literally means to show compassion to someone who deserves punishment from you? Oh, have you ever received that from someone? You deserve to be punished, but they withheld it and showed you mercy? Have you done that to others? It's hard. But my favorite part, and I'm ending with this thought, is the idea in this text of mercy is a way to say I'm changing the subject. So what God's saying, and this is huge, when you come under the mercy of the gospel, you have peace with God, you're now a friend of God, you're now a son and daughter of God. What's amazing here is on top of God changing you, he changes the subject. So when you go, Please forgive me, I've done this. He changes the subject and says, look at what I did. Why are you still looking at what you've done? Look at what I've done. He changes the subject. He doesn't want you dwelling on your sin. He wants you to dwell on what he's done. Isn't that amazing? We come before God and say, but I'm not good. He'll say, but Jesus is. He changes the subject. I don't know, but, but I'm, I'm not perfect, but Jesus is. But I haven't paid you God back yet, God, but, but Jesus has. But, but I'm not clean. Oh, you've been cleansed. Isn't that amazing? But I'm sinful. I, I'll make you sinless. He changes the subject. And this is why, I love this, the Bible promises even when we're faithless, he's faithful to us. That's mercy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we had some time together. Thank you that we get to just think about some amazing truths. God, I pray where we need to be compassionate and show mercy. You'd help us in that way. And remember that we've been shown mercy and compassion first by Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be great witnesses of your name, that we'd remember we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We pray that it'd be a witness to the watching world, to our neighbors, to our friends. Um, God, thank you that you've given us a distinctiveness in our nationality and ethnicity and heritage, and we thank you that you want that to only add the beauty that God is doing here in this place. And God, we pray that if we are in some way, shape, or form leaning on our merits to achieve righteousness, that we would remember once again that Christ in his perfection gave us his righteousness and continues to impart that righteousness daily as we walk with you. And as we take the Lord's Supper, remind us and nourish us of these benefits we do have in the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.